Well, welcome to Story, our new sermon series that we're going to kick off today that will take us through mid-November and really on into to Christmas. I'm going to open up with prayer and then we'll get started. Father, we're grateful for the day. Thank you for those who've assembled. I thank you for the assembly of your church. We thank you for our opportunity to gather together as your church, Lord. And our, our purpose here is to, to see the wonder of, of God, to awe in who God is, to celebrate all that he's done in this great creation that he has made and to glory in the opportunity to, to worship him. Lord, we come as, as part of your creation today. And Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us to, to see and hear in the word of God as it regards to how you made it all, why you made it all and what our part is. Lord, we thank you for those churches like us who are meeting around us and who are um, worshiping, honoring Jesus, talking about his gospel and offering the privilege of salvation to those who would hear and trust in your word and in Jesus. And we pray, Lord God, that your spirit would come and meet them. Your spirit would come and meet us. Lord, that you change us in the hearing of your great, inerrant, authoritative word. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen and amen. So speaking of story, everyone loves a good story, right? So there was this story about a police officer who was invited to a Christian school to give uh, give a talk. It was like show and tell. And he was the show and tell. And so he was in a Christian grade school and uh, the, the police officer was going to talk about morals and the ethics of doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. And so he thought he'd start off with a Bible story. So he goes to this third grade class and he says, so tell me who knocked down the walls of Jericho? Complete silence. No, none of the kids said a word. And so after a little bit of uncomfortability, because no one was saying anything, little boy, little boy in the back of the class, John uh, Bruce, raised his hand. And he says, well, sir, I, I promise I don't know who knocked down the wall of Jericho, but my name is Bruce and I didn't do it. The, the police officer was actually dumbfounded. He's in a Christian school. He's opening up with obvious references to a a Bible story. And none of these young third grade kids know what he's talking about. At least they seem not to. So he changed the topic and went on to talk about uh, the ethics and morals of obeying authorities, um, doing what you're supposed to do, safety in schools and out and and the like. He was so disturbed by what happened in the class in regards to, uh, you know, with that boy and all that, that he went and told the principal. He said, you know what? I was I was the show and tell the day. And I went to the I went to your third grade class and um, mentioned, uh, asked the kids this question, who knocked down the wall of Jericho? And no one answered except for Bruce. And he he just said, I I mean, I don't know who knocked it down, but I didn't do it. And I don't understand why. Why? No, nobody got that. And the principal said, well, sir, I will tell you, I know Bruce. And if Bruce said he did not knock down the wall of Jericho, he absolutely didn't. And I don't know what we can do for you. So the, prince, the, the police officer left and uh, he went back to his office, started to do some work. And then he was so disturbed by this, this idea of going to a Christian school with great kids who should have learned some of the stories of the Bible in Sunday school, or at least in this school, that they couldn't figure out what he was talking about, that he wrote it. He just sat down and wrote a letter. You guys remember writing a letter? He actually took out paper. He had a pen. He wrote out in script what he was thinking. Um, and he just basically sort of tattletale complained to um, the, the denomination that was over this particular Christian school. He gets a letter back two weeks later from the denomination and it says, sir, 
Uh, we are very sorry that that no one has claimed to knock down the wall of Jericho. But if you would give us some of the circumstances and maybe an invoice for the cost, we will be grateful to see what we can do about replacing this wall that was broken down. Now, that's a silly story, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's probably not true, but it reveals uh, a very key point. The key point is this. A few decades ago, a lot of people would have recognized the story of Joshua and the wall of Jericho. I mean, come on. They made a VeggieTales movie out of it, didn't, it, didn't they? It's like one of the best that they made. And this is a Bible story. And, you know, the, 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 I think the point continues that this isn't the case today. It's not so today. The average non-Christian is completely ignorant of Christianity and things that we think are obvious in the Bible. And I would tell you the same is true for many Christians. We all have our favorite Bible stories, uh, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den, perhaps the story of Joshua and the wall coming down at Jericho. We might have a few verses that we put up on our refrigerator or that we might put in a frame of some sort and put on our wall. But in a very real sense, many of us are ignorant to what is going on in the Bible. And the Bible is not just a bunch of rules that we're told to obey. The Bible is not necessarily um, a bunch of heroes that do incredible things that we can't replicate in today's day. The Bible is a story. The Bible is a story. It's an incredible story. It's a story about God. It's a story from God's viewpoint. He's telling us about himself and about the world that he created. It's a story of God's love. It's a story of God's sacrifice. It's a story of God's promise to his creation. It's a story about God's gospel. The hero of the story is God himself coming in the form of a man named Jesus. And the story starts where all good stories start. And that's the very beginning. Check out this video. In the very beginning, nothing existed except for God. God spoke and created the heavens and the earth. When he first created the earth, it had no shape, and total darkness covered the earth. The Spirit of God was present, hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light, and light was created. God separated the light from the dark. The light was called day, and the darkness was called night. God saw the light, and he knew that it was good. This all happened on the first day of creation. God began to separate the waters that were on the surface of the earth with the waters that were above the earth. God created a great expanse between the water on the earth and the water that was above the earth. He called this expanse sky. This all happened on the second day of creation. Then God created dry land on the earth. Waters were gathered together in one place, and then the dry land appeared. The dry land was called earth, and the waters, they were called seas. God then commanded the earth to grow plants and trees, and the plants and trees grew. And then God once again knew, this is good. This all happened on the third day of creation. Next. God placed lights in the sky. He created the sun to shine during the day and the moon and the stars to shine at night. God gave us lights to provide light on the earth, to separate day from night, and to help us track time in days and years. This all happened on the fourth day of creation. 
God created all living things that are in the water and all the birds that fly. God made them multiply and filled the earth and the sea. God again saw that this was good. This all happened on the fifth day of creation. Then finally, God created the animals to cover the earth. The animals multiplied as well until they covered the entire earth. God looked down on his creation and again he knew, this is good. Then God created people. God created people differently than anything else that he had created. God created people in his very own image. God took dust from the ground and he made a man. God took his very own breath and breathed into the man and the man became alive. God then took a rib from the man and created a woman to become the man's helper and spouse. God named them Adam and Eve. God asked the man and woman to care for the garden in which he had placed them in and to take care of the earth. God told the man and woman, you can eat from any tree that I've created. He said the trees were food for all the wildlife and the animals and the people that he created. God's one warning was about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of this tree, God warned the man and woman, do not eat or you will die. This all happened on the sixth day of creation. On the seventh day of creation, God rested from all of his work. And then he looked out on all that he had created. And he said, this is good. This is very, very good. Colossians 1, 15 through 22 reveals that Christ is ruler over all of God's creation. All of creation was created through him, by him, and for him. Everything was created to give glory to Christ, but people would choose not to give him glory. The rest of the Bible reveals how Jesus would restore the relationship between God and man. So if you were paying attention, what you just uh, experienced was the word of God. This was a spoken word uh, rendition of Genesis chapter one, verse one through Genesis chapter two, verse one. Uh, God's making, creating and making of the earth and those things that are on the earth. Today we begin our storyline of the Bible, uh, a sermon series called The Story. And our goal is to meander our way through parts of the Bible. We're going to look at big themes, really, because there's, there's a lot there. And uh, again, our goal is to see how the Bible is put together, the, the, the neat way that God has put it together and the storyline, creation, fall, reconciliation, beginning in the New Testament with Jesus and what God is bringing all of this thing that he's created to the consummation of what we know to be our world. Um, and then we're going to look at how all of the, what God has created and how the storyline of the Bible consummates in Jesus, how it points to him. And today we're going to study creation to say that the question of origins, how we got here, how all of our world exists and why it exists um, is a debated and uh, a contentious issue would be an understatement. Uh, in seminary, my systematic theology professor was a guy by the name of Dr. Douglas Kelly. And Dr. Kelly wrote a very um, thick and pretty complicated book called Creation 
uh, creation and change. It was on this topic of the you know, creation, how God brought about what he did in creation. But also he looked at almost as a, an apologetic, um, the science of it all. There's a lot that we don't know because the, God chooses not to tell us in the Bible. But one of the statements that he makes early in the book is, is simply this. Where we, co- where we come from is crucial to understanding who we are and where we're going. And so that really is our goal today, to talk about um, very specifically where we've come from and to suggest a little bit from what we know of Scripture where we are going. Now, before we um, dive into the Scriptures, I want to give you a few introduc- uh, introductory comments. And the first is this. You know, according to Scripture, creation is a gift from a loving creator God. God created it as a gift to us, our bodies that houses uh, who we are, the air that we breathe, uh, the food that we eat, the, the vegetables that he puts on the ground for vegetation, but also for food, the water we drink, the ground itself, all that God has put here. Even our pets, those are here for our pleasure. Every month thing that we do, God has given that to us. As a gift. These are gifts, God's gifts to us for us to enjoy. You know, Christians have always believed by faith in what the Bible has uh, ascribed to us as the creation event. In fact, there really was no debate about how the world came about other than what Scripture reported and said was true up until the Age of Enlightenment, around the 17th and 18th centuries. And that was really at the time that science began gaining credibility. And since then, science has increasingly become associated with a naturalistic worldview. I'm going to explain that in a couple seconds. There is no conflict between Christianity and science. There, there absolutely is none. The Christian worldview is simply this, that God created the world with all the natural laws and everything that goes with it uh, as he laid it out. And this, we should understand, undergirds the scientific enterprise. There is a huge conflict between Christianity and scientific naturalism. Naturalism would say that all the phenomena that exist in the world has to be explained by the, the orders and the processes and the laws that we currently know about and can prove right now. And so to say that Christianity is against scientific naturalism would be to say that naturalism refutes any law or um, ordering of our world that cannot be explained. Otherwise, it, it counts accounts such as Genesis, much of which we can't explain because we weren't there um, as fiction. So it, it would say that the, the, the Genesis account of creation will be fiction. Lastly, I would tell you that the Bible was not written um, with the intention of being a scientific textbook. You know, a lot of times we try to like, strain science out of the Bible. God didn't have any. He's not trying to make us scientists or even prove that science exists by how he tells us that he created his world. Rather, you know, the Bible is a narrative. It's a narrative that has theology in it. It was written to reveal the God of creation. It was revealed to, uh, to is written to reveal um, aspects about His creation. It was reve- it was written to reveal God's relationship with people like us, and that that is His gift to us. And so, what I want to do with you today is ask and answer four questions. Ask and answer four questions. And the first of these questions is this: What does the Bible say about uh, the story of creation? 
What does the Bible say about the story of creation? And to do that, we've got to look a little bit, uh, look at a little bit of scripture. Now, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter one. We're going to uh, peruse a few of the verses here on through chapter two as we look through what God has said in regards to how he created the world. And uh, if you don't have a Bible in the middle rows underneath your seat, there is a Bible there. Uh, we use the ESV here and you are welcome to take that as our gift to you. Take it with you uh, as you leave as a gift from us to you. Um, Genesis chapter one, verse one says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis means beginning. And so the book of Genesis takes its its title from the very first words of the book that Moses wrote. Okay, Moses, who wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, is attributed to to writing Genesis. Obviously, Moses Moses wasn't present. He wasn't old enough to be present when he wrote um, these words. Uh, these were revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we read in verse three that says, uh, verse two rather, that says the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Okay, that Spirit. That Holy Spirit, that God revealed these details to Moses and he wrote them down so that we have a record of what God did in the very beginning. You know, Genesis is not uh, an exhaustive treatment of early history. It's not trying to do that. Um, It is a selective theological telling of history that focuses again on God and mankind. If you'll notice We don't even get here in the beginning of Genesis how God created angels, what happened with the fall of Satan and demons and all that. We have to go to other parts of the Bible to sort of figure that out. So God is not trying to to do everything to appease us or give us complete information in this one book. He's not trying to do that. It takes Moses two whole chapters to uh, to get through creation. And when you compare two chapters where God reveals to us what goes on in the beginning of creation to the I mean, the hundreds of chapters and verses, 66 books in this Bible, um, you know, God is not trying to prove a lot to us. He's basically saying this is how it is. Believe it in faith as you believe me by faith. There's some important words in Genesis chapter one, verse one. Uh, This is a very this is probably one of the most important verses in all the Bible in terms of helping us to understand who God is and what he has done in our world. I'm going to explain a couple of these words. First, the word beginning. The word beginning Um, in the beginning simply means that God speaks um, that God that uh, excuse me, the earth and creation have a beginning. Okay, there is a point when it didn't exist. And then at some point, God wanted it to exist and it came into existence. That means because there's a beginning to our earth and our world, um, it's not eternal, which also tells us that. At some point, there's going to be an end and we find out that there is going to be an end to our world in places like John 24 and uh, First Thessalonians five and in the book of Revelations. In the beginning, God, there's three versions of the word God in the in the book of Genesis. The the version used here is the word Elohim. Um, The other two are Yahweh and Jehovah. Whenever you see um, Scripture writers using the word Jehovah and Yahweh, they're basically giving a covenant name for God. In other words, they are speaking the name of God in in relation to themselves. They are in relationship with a God that they know. It's an intimate covenant name for God. Elohim, however, is 
it speaks of God universally in relation to his earth and all the people that are on the earth, whether they know him or not. So this is really a generic name of God. So it's saying in the beginning, uh, the God that's God over everybody and everything. And then this next word is a very, very interesting word. It's the word create. And in fact, there's two words in Genesis chapter one that helps us understand what God did. The first word is he creates. The second word is that God makes. And so you should understand God doesn't create everything. Some things he creates, other things he makes. And there's a difference. So creates means uh, the word create is the uh, Hebrew word bara, and it means ex nihilo. That's Latin phrase. It means he's creating something from nothing. Think about when you go in your kitchen and make make up whatever you make up. Say I'm going to make some water. You know, one of the, my favorite things to do on a Saturday morning, I get up before the kids and uh, I make pancakes or waffles. Now, for me to create pancakes or waffles would mean I would have to go and actually contrive that, you know, wheat and whatever flour comes from and, you know, all the other things that go into it. I mean, can I do that? Absolutely not. But when God creates, he thinks it, he says it and it's done. That really is what this idea of create, create means. So in the beginning, God created. He thought up what he wanted his world to be. And it was so that's what verse one is telling us in verse seven. If you move on down, just as an example, it says this, and God made, that's the Hebrew word, asa. Also in verse 16, it says, and God made two great lights, the sun and the moon. Okay, so God is creating some things. He's making something, something out of nothing. And then God is also making some things. And the word asa, the Hebrew word asa uh, for made, really is this idea of shaping an object that's already existing. So what I'm telling you, is that in the creation account, God assad, he he barad a few things. He barad some things in Genesis 1 1. He barad the animals. He barad human beings and everything else. As we read from scripture, he ahad, assad them. He created some things. He made others. I'm going to explain this out a little bit, a little bit more. In the beginning, God created. Next thing it says, the heavens and the earth. There are limited Hebrew words that can help us understand what's going on here. But the the little translation is this. He's making sky and land. Okay, that's what God is doing in the beginning. He's making sky and land. And really, the, the Hebrew rendition of this is saying that God made everything involving the earth top to bottom, head to toe, space, time, mass, energy, all the laws that govern our existence. He did that in Genesis 1 1. And then when we cross over to Genesis 1, 2, it says the earth was without form and void. And we really theologians have messed up what we believe about this. Uh, even theologians of the likes of Calvin and Luther and the Bible translator um, William Tyndale would tell us that God created. He created this huge hunk of mud and chaos. And then from that, he took things and formed all the things that he formed. And really, um, scholars today would tell you that that's probably wrong. He didn't do that. Rather, what God did was he he created everything that existed and then some things he made as creation, as his creative act in the six days of creation um, went about. Uh, Let me back up. Uh, Without form and void. 
You know, one of the things that scripture does for us is scripture interprets itself. And the reason why scholars today would tell you that form and void doesn't mean that God created this hunk of mud and sort of crafted the earth or vegetation, trees, land out of it. It's because Jeremiah chapter four, verse 23 uses these same words. And so Jeremiah is prophesying to Israel uh, pre-exile Israel. And he's saying at some point you're going to go into exile and your land is going to be without form and void. And what Jeremiah is really saying here is that it's going to lack order and content because nobody's going to be there. You're going to be in exile. You're going to be slaves. It's going to be inhabited. And so from scripture, we go back to Genesis and understand this concept that God was really doing something here. First of all, God was creating. Um, he created all that existed in Genesis 1-1. He created animals. He created human beings. But the rest of of the world, he made it out of things that already existed. Listen to this. The best understanding is not that God created chaos and formed earth out of it, but that God created everything out of nothing and that the land existed for some unstated period of time in a desert like empty state. And then at the appropriate time, God took six literal days to prepare the land for human habitation as recorded in the rest of Genesis one and two. You see what he's doing? God created everything that he wanted to create by just speaking it into existence. He, he actually did create out of nothing some animals. He created out of nothing, actually mud, actually, man. And then with the part of creation that had existed for some time in an uninhabited desert kind of state, God took that and formed it into the rest of creation over six days of creation. Of course, we can't prove this, but it seems to be from the scriptures. That's what the words are saying. So the pattern of creation is, is simply this. God spoke. Let there be something. And what happened? And it was right. And so God made an announcement uh, that thing creation obeyed what God said. And then immediately God would um, basically report on what he had made, give an evaluation of it. And the scriptures usually tell us, and God said that it was good. Um, we can't we can't spend the time to go through all the days of creation. But there are some interesting things that we can read. In scripture, in regards to what God is is actually doing, I'm going to read a couple passages and uh, and point out some interesting things. Verse three, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and read along with me. Verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. What did God just do there? He made day and night. What oftentimes do we think that God is doing there? Creating the sun. Did he make the sun right there? Does it say God made the sun right there? No. So how in the world did God create light? On the first day and it not be the light of the sun. Again, I bring you back to Genesis 1 1. The assumption from many scholars is God created everything that there was to be created by by speaking it, thinking it in, in, into existence. And then we see he uh, assigned some things that were already made in the subsequent days of creation. The sun, the moon, the stars may be one of those. Otherwise, we have no other explanation. Here's another uh, here's another thought about that, though. When you turn to Revelation 21, you know, because the, the Bible is cyclical, it's cyclical. It begins in the beginning. We're in the middle right now. And 
whether you know it or not, God's going to return us to a semblance of what he created, this perfect environment that he created in the beginning. We're going to return to that in the end. The Bible is beginning, middle, beginning. And Revelation 21 says that um, when God brings the new heaven and earth, there'll be no need for the sun because the glory of God will be the light that we all share and the lamp will be the lamb. And so I don't know. It's just an assumption. We're just thinking through this together. Right. Um, Maybe God is the glory that's providing the light during the day. And at night, he's just shading himself a little bit. Who knows? Who knows? Day two, God makes the sea and the sky. What's interesting here, 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 verse six, it says, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. So this is it sounds kind of kind of weird, doesn't it? You got expanse and you got water above, water below. It's like, what in the world could that be? Um, you ever been to Seattle? I mean, you ever been? I mean, what is the, the, the rainiest climate on the earth? Whatever that is. When you look up, you see clouds and, you know, whenever you have rain, water falling from the sky, that's water above. Y'all do know that as water above us. Right. OK. Sometimes it just gets too heavy and it falls down. And then the water below is, is the seas, the, the oceans that God created. And so what he's just done in in day two is he's created sea. OK. And he's created a gap between the, the water above or the clouds and the expanse is just the sky. OK, isn't that neat? Day three, God makes land and vegetation. Let's read a few of these words. Verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was called the dry. God called the dry land earth and the waters were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. And then verse 11 continues that he made uh, he let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding their seed, fruit trees bearing their fruit in which their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And so here, day three, God is making land. And notice that God doesn't I mean, he doesn't speak or cause the, the vegetables and the parts of the land to, to, to do anything. He, he has the land produce the vegetation. And, and what is happening here? God is preparing the earth for habitation. For whose habitation? For the habitation of animals and habitation of people like you and I. And what he does um, for you and I and the animals in day three is he gives us some food. Y'all like berries? You like fruit? For those of you that don't like fruit now, you would have been hurting thousands of years ago when God created the earth because that's all you would have ate. Um, Genesis 11, Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, God bringing the flood on the earth and, you know, sort of recommissioning uh, Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply, gave them freedom to eat, but not just berries, but, but I mean, uh, meat that hadn't happened yet. They're eating berries, eating fruit and chowing down on them. I'm sure it's it was good for their bodies. I got to speed up. Day four, God um, makes sun, moon and stars. I'm not going to read that, but you know, the focus here is on the earth. You ever notice how you ever wonder where I mean, where do the planets come in? When, when's God going to talk about the galaxies and the stars and all the stuff beyond just planet Earth? He doesn't. And he's not trying. He doesn't even. It's not. It's as, it's as if he doesn't even care about that stuff. Does that mean he didn't make it? Absolutely not. What what is the Bible trying to do It's trying to give us a record of God, his creation on Earth and, uh, you know, the 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 pride of his creation 
human beings. That's what he's given us a record of. And it's as if he just as ignores the rest of the universe. Day five, God creates. He um, he barras fish and he create uh, and, and birds. Let's read a few of this uh, day. Uh, day five, that's uh, verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created bara. He created the great sea creatures and living creatures that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. Uh, skip down to verse 22. God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Verse 24. Um, and then God brought forth. Uh, uh, just hold right there. Um, the neat thing that happens in day five in the making of fish and birds is it's this idea of great sea creatures. Now, of, of course, we're just assuming here, but this could be um, it could be large serpents. It could be dragons. It might be crocodiles. It could be whales. It could be sharks. Some have suggested that this could even be the infamous dinosaur. We don't know. Um, of course, there are many theories on things that God doesn't explain to us in the scriptures, which is thinking through um, what it might have been. And those are some of the things that men, men have said. And then, of course, lastly, day six, not lastly, but next to last. This is the longest section attributed to a day of creation. Uh, some would say it's the most important. I don't know. I think maybe uh, day seven when God rested was most important when he said everything was not just good, but very good. But on day six, he says this, verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Um, and then we're going to talk about the creation of man a little bit later. Uh, God is creating animals and three different kind of rendition of animals. He, he's creating beasts of the field. Um, you remember Wizard of Oz? Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. OK. He's creating the beasts of the field. Those things that are wild and can do whatever they want to do and possibly tear you up. He's creating um, livestock, sheep, goats, horses, cattle, things that man will eventually take care of as a as an uh, agrarian on the earth. And then he says these nasty little creepy things, um, mice, rats, hamsters. You know, I had like seven hamsters when I was a kid, killed every last one of them. So I don't I don't know where dogs and cats and all those other animals that you all might have fit into here. But, you know, you just assume that God made them. He made them somewhere and they were a part of his great creation. And then, of course, we read in chapter two, verse one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God rested, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Um, The first three days, God is creating an environment that the creatures of what he created on four through six days, four through six would in would inhabit. Okay, that's just a neat thing about creation. So the question is, um, what does the Bible say about the story of creation? It says that um, God created in the beginning. Genesis one, one God created the heavens and the earth. He created Barad, all of it. And then he shaped Assad, much of it in the six days of creation. The second question that we want to ask and answer is, what did the story of creation tell us about God? What does it tell us about God? And I'm going to um, not spend a lot of time on these, um, but these are good bullet points for you to meditate on and think about, because, I mean, there really is an endless, um, there could be endless thought on what God reveals about himself 
in the creative act. Okay, the first thing is that God simply is, you know, the Bible doesn't give an apologetic or make an excuse or try to give us a bunch of detail about God. It just simply says in the beginning, God. And that means to us, God is eternal. He existed before anything else existed. He always has existed. God is not created. He's absolutely uncaused. The second thing that we can learn about God from the creative act is that God made everything that's non-God. OK, God didn't make himself. He's always existed. And the Bible sort the Bible, I mean, it tells us that it assumes that it, it it portrays that to us from cover to cover. But it does say that everything else in the world is dependent upon God. You take away God out of the world and all of us and everything else on the world that God is superintending over his world. That means he's controlling it. He's controlling the laws. He's controlling the science of it. He's controlling the material world. He's controlling us. And you take God out of the picture and we would all at least fall dead, probably disappear. God is superintending over his world. There's a unique and clear distinction between creator God and his creation. God doesn't have any cause. He just is. He always has been. But the neat thing is we would not exist without him. We absolutely wouldn't. Thirdly, there is one God and God is Trinitarian. Genesis in particular, all of scripture in uh, specifically uh, gives us this idea. God is monotheistic. There's there's a one God in uh, a few books to the right of Genesis. We read in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God is one. God is one God. And we get that from from scripture. Um, there aren't many gods. There's there's one God. But there's an interesting phrase that we read here in Genesis chapter one. And I skipped over that on purpose. And it's Genesis chapter one, verse 26. And it says this. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I mean, who in the world is God talking to? He's talking to himself. Um, We can't prove this here. But what we're talking about is the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, If we back up to verse one, uh, chapter one, verse two, uh, it says these words. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We can't prove the Trinity here, that that, that God is one God, but he exists in three persons. But elsewhere in scripture where we see attributed a deity attributed to the spirit of God and to Jesus, um, we learn that God has always existed, not um, as a multitude of gods, but as one God in three persons. And that really is what theologians think is is being said here. So God is one God, but he exists as a Trinitarian God. Next, uh, I would tell you that God is a talking God. He creates by his word. Um, I've already given this as an example, but when you or I make something, we take something that already exists. If I'm going to make glasses, I'm going to take the parts of of glass. Uh, I'm going to take the glass. I'm going to take the screws, uh, the plastic parts. I might even take uh, liquid substance and form them into these these glasses here to form the glass itself and, and make it fit on my head. But God, when he's making something, the Bible says he says it, he thinks it and and it is so. Uh, Romans chapter four, verse 17 says this. This is Paul's uh, writing that God calls things that are not as though they were. And of course, they are. God creates by speaking. The fifth thing that I would tell you is everything God makes is good. And in Genesis uh, 1 uh, 31, as he con- 
almost concludes the, the sixth day, he says that he looks back on his creation, all the goodness of it. And he says uh, everything was was very good. You know, we have to progress a little bit further in the story of creation and everything that happens in the Bible before we get to death and murder and hate and vengeance and all the bad things that we see in our world now. And I would I would tell you, although we all struggle with this idea of of God's sovereignty, but we but trying to make sense of the, the, the stuff that happens in our world, the stuff that's not good, the Bible makes no qualms that God is good and that he made creation good. Lastly, I would tell you, uh, what does the Bible tell us about God? It tells us that creation proclaims his greatness and his glory. What does that mean? God made creation to glorify himself. Absolutely, he made it to glorify himself. God did not need to create anything. He was perfectly comfortable being the triune God in perfect community with the Son and with the Spirit um, it would be a foul. It would be foolish to say that God created all of creation because he was bored or that he was lonely. The Bible doesn't say that. And that just sounds it sounds idiotic, doesn't it? OK. Why did God create all that he created? He created it to reflect his glory and that we would be the reflection of his glory. All right. So where does the Bible say? What is the, uh, the Bible say about the story of creation? It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does the creation story tell us about God? It says that God created all that is created that we might glorify him. The third question that we want to ask and answer is is simply this. What does the creation story tell us about human beings? And I I just love this. I wish I could spend um, a a whole sermon on it. And we will. And we'll come back to Genesis and just spend a lot of time here. But I'm going to spend a minute, two minutes, three minutes. Give me three minutes. I'll give me three minutes talking about. What creation, the creation story tells us about human beings. The first thing is that, you know, we're made in the image of God. I got to read some scripture. Uh, We've already read a little bit of this. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, verse 28 says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know, because we are a part of creation, we're creatures just like lions and tigers and bears and fish and birds and, you know, those nasty rats and mice. There are things that we share along with creation. We have some common genes. We're all, you know, we all uh, consummate it from the perspective of uh, we're born. We live a life. We die. We go back into the dust of the earth. We have that in common with the rest of creation. But there are just some unique things that God has put in to his pinnacle of creation, which is human beings that he doesn't give to the rest of creation. Only human beings, uh, only of human beings, does the Bible say that we're made in the image and likeness of God. Those two words, image and likeness, really are saying the same thing. And more than anything, it's saying that we represent God. We don't look like God. The Bible says that God is a spirit, but it says he's given us many of his attributes that we might represent him on the earth. We are his vice regents. He put us in charge to rule. He gave us dominion over over much of the earth. He wanted us to be fruitful and multiply so that we would fill it and there would be little, you know, you know little like vice regents all over the place ruling over his ruling over his his creation. 
And God intended that we would do that. He gave us the capacity to work. He gave us the ability to relate to each other. And then he gave us all this responsibility on the earth. And ultimately, I would tell you that God created us in his image so that we would know him and that we would delight in him. Secondly, human beings were made male and female. Uh, There's a lot of argument about this. I mean, does God really make a man? I mean, can can we change our sex? We're not going to get into all that. But listen to what the scripture says. Anybody that goes through marriage counseling with me, anybody that comes through me for pre-marriage, uh, I'm going to say these words right here. Uh, Genesis chapter two, verse 18 and, and, and continuing. Then God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. I'm going to skip on down. So Lord God, uh, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. That was verse 20, now 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken out of the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is poetry here. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, Genesis 1 God declared that what he made was good. And the only thing that that's different about the days of creation and God declaring what he made in regards to uh, his report and his evaluation is when he made a man and a woman. And he said it was very good. that, That has to be something special about that. God designed that we would need human contact, that we would need friendship And love and that that would come from other human beings. You know, the Bible calls human beings equal. But this passage that we just read also suggests to us, not just to suggest, it insists that the woman was made as a helper for the man. That's Genesis 2.18. And God's intent was that the man and the woman would come together in one union, a sexual union and a marriage union. You know, in Genesis 2, the pattern that we see is, as the scriptures tell us, a man leaves his family. A woman leaves her family and they come together, settle together in a relationship and they become a new marriage. Uh, The two become one flesh, which means they're they're one in every aspect of of their lives. The third thing that that we get from the creative act in regards to human beings is is this. Um, The man and his wife were innocent. Um, Genesis 225 says Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed. Let me ask you this. Ever been to a nudist colony? Colony? Ever been to a nudist colony? Don't answer because you might incriminate yourself. Um, <laughs> some of you want to answer. Um, we often picture you know, the video that we showed. We often picture Adam and Eve naked, but uh, Eve's hair is long and it's covering her breasts. Adam is, is hid behind some trees and it's covering his private parts. Uh, the word the words here, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed simply means transparency. And so the reason why I asked you about a nudist colony is, I mean, you probably don't do research on this, but the whole premise behind a nudist colony is if we can be transparent in one area of our lives, then that will likely lead us to be transparent in other areas of our lives as well. And so people that flock to nudist colonies, most of those are in Europe and places like that where they're a little bit freer than we are here. In America, um, they are forcing themselves to be vulnerable. Okay, clothes off, naked, stuff hanging out, 
on purpose that they might. Really, this is the deal. They want to be they want to know and be known. Okay, and that really is what God gave Adam and Eve the opportunity to do, to to know and be known. And I would tell you, all of us, um, we we lean toward that. We want transparency. We just have sin in us that won't let us um, fully get that. Adam and Eve had absolutely no shame. They had nothing in their conscience, nothing in their experience, nothing in their history that would make them ashamed of themselves or their bodies or of the, the life that they had lived. I mean, how many of you want to go and have your mom know every thought that's in your head like right now or your, or your dad? I mean, absolutely not. Why? Because we, ha- we just have a lot to be ashamed of. Lastly, all right, I'm going to cover this real quick. How does creation story fit into the rest of God's story in the Bible and our lives? Uh, firstly, Genesis 1 and 2 provides a necessary background for us to understand what comes next. Next week, we're going to look at the fall. We someone once said, you never know how good you have it until you know how bad it was. Actually, looking at it from a reverse side until you understand how good everything that God made in the beginning, you don't understand really what happens when sin enters the world and the great links that God goes to reconcile this fallen, ugly, nasty world back to himself. I mean, he kills himself to reconcile us back to himself. The second thing is that the creation story doesn't end here. You know, it doesn't end here. God said seventh day. all was very good. He rested. But creation doesn't end here. Again, there's a cycle to God's word. There's a cycle to the story of the Bible. There's a cycle to uh, this story that God is putting together that 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 becomes our lives. The things that we see in the beginning, we're going to come around to in the end. And we are in the middle. And the middle has been going on for thousands of years. And we still got a few more thousands of years to go until God sees fit to to send Jesus back to come get us. And so next week, we'll learn that Adam and Eve rebel against God in judgment and mercy. God thrust them out of paradise. He kicks them out of the Garden of Eden, away from his presence into a created world that's fallen and it's cursed. And then things go from bad to worse. In Genesis six, um, God brings a flood that destroys man and the animals he's created. God shows mercy and he saves the world through Noah and his family, you know, through that flood. And in a sense, he creates everything that was created back in Genesis one. He actually gives Adam Noah the, a recommission. Go and be fruitful, have dominion over the earth. He allows them to eat not just the fruit and the berries, but also animals as well. Years later, God calls a man named Abraham. And through Abraham, God creates a nation that would bear the title of the people of God. And an interesting happens. They uh, he gives them a promise. And then, I mean, time after time, they disobey him. And so God sends them into slavery. Then God raises up a man named Moses. And through Moses, God takes this nation and promises them a veritable Garden of Eden. He calls it the promised land. And he takes them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But again, God's people rebel. They rebel so much that he puts them in the exile. They come out of exile. He puts them in the exile again. And by the time we get into the New Testament, the nation of Israel, God's people are in slavery. They're in slavery in their own land. And then God does the incredible, the incredible, unthinkable thing. God 
the creator himself appears in the form of a man. He appears in the form of Jesus Christ. We learned that in in John chapter one. Go ahead and show that on the screen here for me. This will be our last verse here today. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The man was sent from God. Okay. God sent Jesus to to straighten out the mess of the world that his creation had become. Jesus was the word talked about by the gospel writer, John, God incarnate. And through his word, through Jesus word, through the gospel of Jesus, he calls people into a new humanity. You know, Paul says in Second Corinthians five seventeen, anyone that's in Christ Jesus is a new creation. So in a sense, God has taken the mess of the world and all of our sin and given us the opportunity to trust in Jesus. And he creates in us a new man. First Peter two says that God creates in us a holy nation. He creates the church that we might show forth the glory of God on the earth. It's through the word, the word of Jesus, his gospel. That Jesus, the creator, will finish the work that the finish the work of new creation. He'll create a new heaven and a new earth. We'll read that in about three weeks. So how does this all end? Well, I would tell you that the creation story is a love story. Okay, it's a love story that plays out over the centuries and it's it's being played out in your life and in my life now. It's a story of a bridegroom whose name is Jesus who will stop at nothing, not even the cost of his own life, to reconcile, to win back those who the Father has called to himself. The story of creation ends with Jesus preparing a new home, a new heaven and a new earth. And in that place, there'll be no more crying or pain because there'll be no more sin and evil. Only love will be there as Jesus and his bride, the church, Those of us, many who sit in this room right now, display the glory of God, redeeming of God's redeeming grace. And the angels will watch in awe. And I would ask you this simple question as I close. I mean, are you are you ready for that? Are you ready for all of the perfection that God created in the beginning that we don't see much of now to be recreated and to be a part of that? I mean, are we there yet? Absolutely. We're not. But we will be. And are you living for that day? That's the question that I would ask you to ask yourself as we contemplate the story of creation. Will your story be included in God's story? How do you include your story in God's story? Um, Very simply, not simply, but the Bible prescribes that you simply believe the words of Scripture as Christians in the past have done. And the way that your story becomes a part of God's story is when you trust in his son. You trust that Jesus was sent to Die in your place on the cross that Jesus was sent to reconcile you in all of your sin to God, the father, by his death, by his uh, resurrection and by the glory that will come when he returns again. And I would encourage you that if you don't know this, Jesus, then simply pray, pray that God would um, make him reveal himself to you by his grace. His grace is sufficient for you. I pray. I ask that you would pray that Jesus would help you to see the grand story that he's creating and how you could be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great words of scripture. We thank you for this grand story that you are unfolding in the earth. And we thank you that in the beginning, 
when there was only you and the spirit and the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, that you saw fit to create all that's created. And you created on that sixth day human beings that would reflect your glory on the earth. And you gave them responsibility, gave them an opportunity to be in relationship with each other and to be in relationship with you. Lord, there's so much that we don't understand about your creation. There's so much that we have no idea about what you're doing on the earth. We pray to God that you would not, we don't ask for insight. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to trust you. Trust that you have your world in your hand, that you know what you're doing. And this beauty that we see carved out of nothing in the beginning. Lord, we trust that you are returning us to that. And even though we see the fallenness and the the bad parts of our world today, at some point you'll help us see the glory of God in its fullness. And Lord, we await for that. What a day that will be. God, I pray for those here who are struggling with this idea of of a God who created the world. And, And Lord, they're just struggling with the science of it all. God, I pray that you give them faith to believe, that they believe without believing. They believe without knowing, um, knowing the, the intricacies of, of what happened. God, that you give them faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.